Hello, my name is Claire Heffron and welcome to this episode of the Geneva Centre for Security Policy podcast on the latest issues advancing peace, security and international cooperation. Today's Turkey is a geopolitical hotbed. With its unique location, it's exposed to numerous challenges. Some of them pose risks to its security and its foreign policy. We discussed its current issues with Atli Aydin Tasbash, who is a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. And in today's world where people get their news from Twitter, Facebook and Google, social media now plays an integral part of international affairs. We discussed the importance of emerging technology with Dante Manuel Lincona Estevez, who is senior communications officer for social media at the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Turkey's relationship with its neighbours and global nations have now forced it to become assertive as a regional power. Earlier, we spoke to Asli Aydin Tashbash, Senior Policy Fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Firstly, what are the key objectives of Turkey's foreign and security policy? The Turkey that you see now is very different from the Turkey I grew up in. Uh, in many ways, I grew up in a Turkey that had turned its face towards the West, wanted to be part of the European Union, and had very little interest in the Middle East. Tur- today's Turkey, uh, after 18 years of uh, Justice and Development Party led by Tayyip Erdogan, is, is a country that definitely wants to have a voice an influence and even military presence outside its uh, actual borders. It is no longer uh, single-mindedly interested in being part of the West. I think it wants flexible alliances with West, the you know the EU, Russia, and uh, EU, Russia, United States, not necessarily uh, finding uh, its NATO partnership to shape its entire foreign policy. And I think thirdly, it's a country that is more self-assertive and engaged with the Middle East. Whereas for my generation of Turks, for my mother's generation, and even for my grandmother's generation, Middle East was a no-go area. There was no interest, no desire to get involved, enmeshed, let alone have any presence. I think that three generations after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, the lesson they took was we need to be a European nation state and only a nation state. I think there is a new generation and definitely a different mindset now in Ankara, a more greater and greater involvement in the Middle East, a tendency to see Turkey as a country that has to be present in Syria, present in Libya. And I think with the presence of a rising number of Syrian refugees and more uh, engagement in the Syrian conflict, Turkish foreign policy is now as much about the Middle East as it is about Europe. What are the key challenges, opportunities facing Turkey's foreign and security policy? I think uh, this external engagement and desire for external engagements beyond Turkey's nation-state borders comes with opportunities and challenges. Opportunities, obviously, you know, Turkey has growing trade ties in Africa with the Balkans. It's not just exporting goods, but has 
investments in these places and also is developing its uh, sphere of influence in, uh, in its immediate geography, be it the Middle East or uh, the Balkans. The challenges are the security challenges. With each engagement come risks that are sort of uh, actual human casualty figures as we've had in, in the Syrian conflict two things like refugee inflows, two uh, fault lines. Uh, Turkey had, certainly has new friends in the region and new alliances, but it also has new enemies. You know, there are new fault lines that are formed in the Middle East. Qatar and Turkey on one side and Saudi Arabia and UAE on the other side seems to be one of the fault lines in Eastern Mediterranean today. So it's a mixed bag advantages and opportunities alongside challenges. What is next for Turkey's evolving foreign and security policy landscape? Is it following any trends? The Syrian issue is perhaps the most burning foreign policy issue for Turkey. It's now involved in the civil war as a side to it. It's supporting both in terms of supporting opposition and running several different pockets inside Syria, uh, which are now under Turkish control and of course now involved in a very hot conflict directly uh, with the Syrian regime. But of course, the Syria, Syria is going to be the top issue in foreign policy. Uh, engagement is popular in some parts and not so popular in other parts. Foreign policy is always a domestic issue and I think more and more focus on Turkish, Turkey, Syria policy uh, is going to make it difficult for the government to deepen its engagement elsewhere in the region. And I think that we're going to be discussing Syria a lot over the next two, three years. And uh, certainly it's going to be a top issue in Turkish domestic politics and competition as well. What is unknown about Turkey's foreign and security policy that should be known? When I read opinions of Turkish foreign policy, there's often the sense that everything is very carefully thought through, premeditated and part of a grand strategy. And to be honest with you, even with big powers, but certainly for medium-sized powers like Turkey, sometimes things, are, things happen on a far more ad hoc basis, not really institutional decisions and not things that were decided years ago, but you know, as a response, an ad hoc response to developing crisis. For example, Idlib, Idlib conflict, uh, the, the, the final phase of the Syrian conflict, is one in which Turkey is, uh, it, it doesn't fit Turkey's Syria policy in other parts of Syria, but it's a response that's developed as events on the ground uh, evolve. So foreign policy, yes, it's often based on principles, but not always, number one. And sometimes it's just responding to hot burning issues of the day. The Middle East and North Africa region is suffering from conflict and the destabilizing accumulation and flow of arms. As leaders, the pressure is on to act 
and work towards conflict resolution and preventing destabilizing arms buildup, protecting both national security and human security. There are global responses, but also regional solutions to such challenges. I'm Marc Finot, the director of the Arms Control course for the Middle East and North Africa region. At the Geneva Center for Security Policy, we educate practitioners to fulfill their tasks effectively. We use expert presentations, case studies, interactive exercises as methods to help people better respond to security challenges with international norms. We can help you achieve your goal by making you understand the potential offered by international norms and regional solutions to the security challenges of your region, the Middle East and North Africa. We have a plan to help your authorities abide by their international commitments and contribute to national, regional and global security, but also to help you elevate your own positioning by recommending and applying the right policy decisions. Join us in this common endeavor for regional and global peace and security. See you in Geneva and in Amman. In today's society, the use of social media has become a valuable communication tool worldwide, as well as to share vital information. Earlier, we spoke to Dante Manuel Lincona Estevez from the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. He shared with us the latest on social media and international affairs. Firstly, how has social media evolved? Ten years ago, nobody was really taking social media seriously in the international uh, affairs arena. Uh, so many pioneers had to open uh, the, the, the discussion on this specific topic. I think nowadays there is more or less consensus. In fact, 97% of the UN member states already have a presence on social media. So that tells you how, over, uh, how much the adoption of social platforms has been uh, widely adopted by most governments in the world. I think social media has become a very important uh, part uh, of our lives. Every single day that we are opening uh, our eyes to our phones, we get notifications from our friends, from our families, uh, from content that some of them saw it on social media platforms. So, uh, in fact, uh, depending on how old are you, the many social media platform accounts you are likely to have. The younger population may have up to nine social media accounts and uh, the bracket that we have data from uh, between 45 and 55 might have up to five social media accounts. So we are seeing a big adoption in terms of the global population that have access to internet having uh, social media accounts for for different reasons, for keeping in touch with their loved ones, for learning something that is happening in the news, or particularly for those who live abroad, to keep a close touch with their culture, their connections, their network, uh, whether they come from. And social media has played a, a very important role in my professional life, uh, from my work here in, in Geneva, whether I was working for the Mexican government, or the World Health Organization, or now for the International Federation of the Red Cross, it has really shaped not only my professional life, but also my personal life. What do you think are its challenges today? 
with most technology platforms, they have a very, uh, a very positive aspect and there's always full of challenges. Uh, we already discussed some of the positive aspects of social media and those that are most challenging today uh, are issues that have to deal with privacy and data and misuse of data from, from some of the, of the platform providers. So I think one of the big challenges that we are seeing across the board from all the technology companies is the big challenges of, uh, to deal with misinformation. And uh, there have been some remarkable efforts, but not nearly enough. Um, with the level of influence comes a level of responsibility. And I know that uh, tech companies understand that. And we are seeing positive steps being taken today. But as I've said, uh, not nearly enough. Where do you see the future of social media and its development? It's impossible to, to predict um, where we will be by the end of 2020. Um, just looking at what happened last year with the emergence of uh, a platform such as TikTok uh, that really came as a very important new player into the social media landscape, uh, it's impossible for me to tell where we are going. That said, I think most of the content that we are seeing today uh, will we'll need to evolve. Some platforms are lagging behind in terms of, of the, the, how, how young their new users are. And some others are understanding behaviors uh, such as consumption of uh, vertical video or, or other kind of design that makes a user-friendly experience very enjoyable. People want to be on social media having a nice experience. They, they don't want to see it as a burden. So those tech companies that understand that by making a nice and friendly user experience, uh, they will get better users, will get the better results. That's all we have now for today's episode. Thank you to Asli Aydin Tashbash for joining us, along with Dante Manuel and Kona Estevez. Listen to us again next week to hear all the latest insights on international peace and security. Bye for now.